Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 43. This week with public company earnings having reported, we will be covering earnings and our analysis and outlook for in particular, EA, Ubisoft, Zynga, and Glue. And today you have myself, Jay Money, that's my finance rap name, as well as Eric Kress. And we are again joined by Jeff Cohen from Stevens. So we basically have two finance pros and then you have myself as well, but I'll, I'll do the best that I can. And before we get started, a couple of updates. The first is from Maddie at MaddieBUK on Twitter that we had talked about the Division movie last week as something that would be cool. And actually, that's already being made. And so uh, I guess it was announced at E3, but yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty awesome to see that movie being made. And Eric, you've got an update as well, right? Yeah, uh, one of the listeners actually uh, commented on the thoughts about Activision and EA getting acquired by a big media conglomerate. And, uh, you know, he made a good point. You know, I'm always looking at the issue from the publisher perspective. But what he said was that there's a lot of synergies with the... Uh, uh, with the uh, the big big media companies in terms of how they do licensing, movies, television, et cetera. So the, the big publishers, the, the publishers could leverage the systems in place in order to do the licensing and getting media rights. And, and, and Disney and those kind of companies are really successful on that. So what could happen is rather than the, the publishers dedicating resources to licensing movies, et cetera, they could use the infrastructure of the media companies you know, the game brands could become bigger and bigger and bigger and more worldwide and more mass market properties if leveraged properly. And generally speaking, game companies do a pretty bad job of executing outside of their comfort zone, in my experience. Like, for example, EA's Need for Speed movie. Sorry, Patrick. And, uh, you know, movies and television, all the stuff that Ubisoft is doing. Uh, I don't know if that's actually been very meaningfully contributing to their brands at all. I mean, I think Blizzard has done some things right. Uh, with their properties, but you know, and and they seem to be pretty smart and selective. But anyway, it's an important perspective. And I, again, I always appreciate the feedback um, when I forget to cover something or, or I get something wrong. Um, but my my kind of general thinking about licensing, this is a you know my thirty thousand feet view, is that as long as you're not completely distracting the team, you know, particularly the creatives uh, with other opportunities like TVs and movies, then go for it, right? But the problem is that generally creators want to maintain their control over their IP and the creators on the other side that want to do these movies, televisions, or other opportunities, you know, want, want to interface with the same people, right? But they want to maintain control. Um, but the other creators want to take control. So it's always this battle between the two creatives, you know? And so this creates a real conundrum and issues around balancing attention and time uh, on these new opportunities rather than, you know, video game uh, creatives, you know, core competency, which is freaking video games. Right. So anyway, I've just seen it. It's just, it's just they've had a, you know, time and time and time creative talent, you know, to bring IPs to movies is completely different than bringing, uh, uh, doing video games. So again, it's a battle of expertise. You know, one wants to do it their way. The other one wants to do it their other way. And so I guess if it's managed in a thoughtful way and the opportunity is big enough to justify the distraction, then go for it. Right. Um, and then uh, finally, you know, a lot of these opportunities are pretty small. Even movies, actually, with only getting a small percentage of, of it for the license. Uh, like, for instance, if you do like a million T-shirts at $20 a pop and you're getting 20 percent, it's worth a million dollars. I mean, that's nice nuts compared to what it would be if you built a game. Right. And so you may get like a dozen opportunities like that. But even that's not worth any time from the creative's perspective. Right. And I know that's a terrible example, but I'm just saying it, it has to be justify the uh, the uh, distraction, I would say. But the point stands, the, and it's a really good point by the guy at Blizzard is that uh, you know Disney and and these other big media companies have the resources and expertise to get the stuff done, and could be a, a real synergy, you know, for these big companies to acquire EA and Activision to make their IPs much bigger than they are, um, and and just to broaden their appeal, et cetera. So, just wanted to throw that out there. All right. So, should we get started with uh, EA? Eric? Yeah, I'm going to be quick on this one. So generally speaking, Q1 or this June quarter is not all that interesting, uh, generally. But uh, two of the companies out of the three were actually kind of important. First of all, EA was really important because they've had been under pressure lately because of Apex and kind of, I think Wall Street just got super sour on this company 
uh, because they missed last year. And then, then it feels like they really kind of blew it with uh, Apex. So, um, and so they had a lot to prove in this call to get people comfortable with what was going on. So fundamentally they came out and they basically said EA had a great quarter, right? They beat uh, revenue and they beat earnings by a lot. Uh, but I think that was on cost controls, like kind of an unpredictable type thing. FIFA was also up. FIFA Ultimate Team was up 11%, which was really kind of unexpected. And they also started giving commentary on The Sims and the, how The Sims is driving 300 to 400 million next year. And that they had this free, free to play event that really helped drive uh, significant growth in the expansion. Um, so they, uh, as I expected, they guided, they reiterated guidance. Uh, um, and which is somewhat of a negative, but not really in the sense that they beat earnings this quarter. So they should raise guidance for the rest of the year, but EA actually never raises guidance in Q1 or they've only done it once, I think in the last 10 years. So they also reiterated apex going to do 300 to 400 million, which is what I've been kind of saying to people. And they also reiterate expectations for star Wars. Um, and then fundamentally, I think that puts some, people at ease about uh, their ability to manage Apex and get to their targets and get to the overall targets. And the stock was up like 5% um, after a few days. So I think it was pretty good. Um, mobile continues to be a huge drag. Uh, again, I think they have absolutely no strategy um, and no real interest in the space from the exec team. So that's not um, not really a, 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 you know, a significant push for them. But generally a very positive call for them. They feel like, I feel like they're in really good shape. Um, and I think they, you know, will continue to have up, upside in their earnings. And I'm hearing, you know, strong things about Madden so far, although the reviews I just read were not so good, <laughs> but, uh, but I think star Wars and sports will help them beat expectations this year. And then we'll go into next year to see what they have. So we'll see. Um, what do you think JK? Yeah, so for me, I think the point you make about mobile is the main issue for me. It, it's still a black hole there, as you've mentioned on previous twigs uh, time and time again. And it's a little bit concerning that we're seeing quarter over quarter drops in net bookings as the current portfolio continues to age out. So seeing about a 17% drop year over year, despite continued strong performance from Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Further, when we look at the fiscal year 2020 announced titles, there were eight console, six PC titles announced, but nothing was broken out specifically for mobile, although Andrew Wilson did mention PVZ3. Uh, the other point I wanted to make is I had previously speculated and there were rumors that had been swirling around about Fox Next. I now think I was 100,000% wrong on that. I think the intent and strategic fit are there I think I was probably right at the time in terms of the intent, but if you review the fundamental assumptions behind that, I don't think those are there. Anyway, I won't speak anymore to, to that except to say that I think EA needs to figure out a longer term solution. And further, the comments Andrew Wilson made to an analyst question seem to indicate a slower wait and see approach here. So in particular, he called out or he said, We've seen, quote, we've seen a lot of large-scale mobile games and mobile companies in pretty serious decline over the last six to 12 months. And then um, made points about needing to protect their operating contribution of 40%. So I actually think that this approach is actually right. I think what Andrew Wilson is saying about a lot of mobile games and mobile game companies is right. So I think it's the right approach, although I don't think it's going to be uh, popular by investors. Um, and the weird thing to me is it was pretty clear and public that they were aggressively interviewing folks to lead mobile over there. Those anecdotally, at least um, from what I was hearing, stopped right around E3, which you know was one of the reasons that led to my wild speculation about maybe that they figured something out. But yeah, I don't think anyone outside of EA has any good guesses as to what's happening there now. Um, but it does sound from Andrew Wilson's comments that they're signaling a wait and watch approach and they just don't like the current players out there now. Uh, and I don't see any sort of tip, tip offs in, into anything that they're doing, but it does seem like they do not want to make any rash decisions right now. Um, besides that, I think that uh, management gave guidance on Apex to deliver net bookings between three to 400 million for the next fiscal year. And so, you know, one, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, Jeff and Eric, is just, you know, how much is Apex saving EA's ass right now? Like, how? How, how big is it for, for Apex to have like done spectacularly well? Well, it's huge. I, I guess first, you know, thank, thanks for having me again on Twig. It's always a pleasure to be on here and talk with you guys. 
So my, my thoughts on Apex are pretty in line with Eric's. I mean, investor sentiment heading into this call was so negative um, on Apex that really just the fact that they reiterated their guidance was enough to lead to a positive stock reaction. You know, management also revealed the game has 8 to 10 million weekly active players. That's a pretty, uh, pretty impressive number and a nice sticky base that I think Respawn can continue to monetize. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, um, you know, about the whole Apex conversation, I think it brings up an interesting topic to discuss, which is kind of the reliability of Twitch data as it relates to judging a game's player base. You know, I'd be curious to hear your guys' opinion. Does a game like Apex that seems to have more of a core following really need to have a big Twitch following or investors kind of too focused on that data? I mean, I think we've talked about this before. I think Twitch is an indicator of a popularity, but in terms of these super core, like smaller audience, and eight to nine million is not small, by the way. I, I, that number seems insane, but whatever. But the people that are actually spending and really engaged in the content, like things like For Honor and, and Rainbow Six um, Siege, no, whatever it's called, the Rainbow Six <laughs> game, um, you know, they don't need huge audiences to drive revenue. That's what I've been trying to say for a while is that like these audiences are spending, you know, and so if they're going to capitalize on 300, 400 million on a, on a much smaller audience than say uh, you know Fortnite, then I think that's 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 where they should be. That's that's where they can compete. Your expectations can't get ahead of your ahead of themselves in these type of uh, opportunities. So, so your answer to the question is that Twitch is just one indicator. I think yeah. um, it's also just how many core people are playing the game. Yeah, and I think Team Fight Tactics is a good counterexample, right? In terms of you know, top three in terms of Twitch streams, but not not really making much money, if, if any at all. Exactly. Yeah, good good point. Good point. I wanted to pose another question for you guys. So, you know, an analyst on the call uh, posed the question around free-to-play NBA Live. I think this is something, you know, Eric, you've, you've been talking about for a while. Do you guys view this as a smart, if they were to actually do that, do you view this as a smart strategy? Um, you know, would they be able to take some players from NBA 2K, or is this kind of opening Pandora's box? Uh, you know, with their sports franchises that are kind of their cash cow. Yeah, I've I've done a lot of thoughts on this, <laughs> so I, I don't want to get too deep into this. But the, the the fundamental problem with any type of free to play strategy on NBA is that the NBA is going to hate it, right? So fundamentally, both the NBA, NFL, and to some degree FIFA consider their brands, you know, very high end, right? And Discounting product at a level that this level would probably be a terrible idea and they don't like it, right? They don't like, and this goes back to the days of like uh, when Sega and 2K released uh, basketball and, and football at t- 1999 and I was at EA at the time and we were scrambling to figure out how to respond and ultimately what happened is FIFA, uh, NBA got really pissed off, the NFL got pissed off and NFL went exclusive with EA and they basically signed a deal with the uh, uh, and uh, the 2K guys were that they would never ever do that again, right? So that's one facet of it. They don't want their brand discounted out there. That's why they've been so slow to embrace free to play to some degree as well on mobile. Even the second thing is that like NBA 2K is their cash cow, right? And so if there's any threat to the revenue that they're generating from the NBA 2K game, then then there's no point in doing it, right? So like so that's probably what's on their mind right now, and so. For EA, this is like a Hail Mary, dude. They are just getting their ass handed to them on NBA every year. And it's just, it seems like worse every year. And so they're throwing that long pass, hoping that they can get some traction here. But I think the NBA is likely pushing back and saying, hey, you can't do a pure free-to-play game because you're going to compete directly and damage our brand and and hurt our revenue and and from NBA 2K. Plus, 2K is going to be all pissed off, right? So anyway, I think... I think they're kind of caught in this middle ground. And so they can't do a pure free-to-play game and they'll likely do some kind of hybrid. You know, back, I always consider like, it's like the shareware CD-ROM. And I know most people on this call were not around during that time where you basically unlock the different modes or uh, unlock the game by playing, by paying 20 bucks or something. So maybe that's what they end up doing is they unlock the single player for 20 bucks. They unlock ultimate team for like 20 or 30 bucks uh after getting to a certain point on it but and and so this is probably i I imagine what they're working through if they are indeed doing a free-to-play strategy on nba will it work i don't know i mean it's it's going to be tough right this is a good year to do it to some degree because i think there's a lot of attention on nba this year with all these changes of players so perhaps they can get some traction against uh, 2k but i i almost think they should pull the ripcord and just say enough of this right 
uh, they're not going to compete or try to compete in next gen, you know, with a better game. So and and focus on quality and focus on uh, graphics or whatever, something else to differentiate. All right, that was my long <laughs> explanation of that. That was your long short answer. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean to a long answer on that one, but we, I did so much work at this when I was at EA back in the day uh, because of uh, of this whole issue with the uh, uh, Sega guys that that it was kind of front and center on my my mind anyway. What else you got? And so Andrew Wilson, at the end of his prepared remarks, basically did like an infomercial for subscriptions. And so my question to you guys, what, what's up with that? Why is he so focused on pimping subscriptions so, so hard? It was <laughs> weird to me. <laughs> I, I've been saying this for so long now. I'm, I'm almost, I'm just such a broken record, but you know, his whole strategy is for growth is subscription, 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 subscription. That's all he wants to talk about. It's not mobile. It's not building IP. It's not increasing studio footprint. Not new platforms, not acquisitions. Like there are a lot of different strategies that you could go, but all he wants to talk about is subscription, and I, I think it's a losing strategy. I, I, I just don't think they're going to get traction with subscription for the many reasons I've said before. Is that they are only going to attract the audience that they already have, and that's just not a meaningful way of growing your your user base, right? If you expand beyond your user base by creating new IP that appeals to a broader audience, or you know, create better games that and stop fucking up every game franchise in your portfolio. You know, like there's there's things that they can do with what they got and to expand that would be much better than focusing on subscriptions, right? And so they're not talking about their PC premium sub, right? They didn't say anything about that, right? Because it's not doing jack shit, right? I mean, I subscribe because I'm a core PC game, you know, and, and there may be a million people like me, but that doesn't move the needle, right, for them, right? And so... They are moving to PlayStation, which will likely give them three to five more million subs, which is 90 to $150 million, which sounds like a lot, but it's not, right? That's mice nuts for these guys, right? It's not significant enough to move the needle for them, you know? And all the consumer research I've seen and all the current subscribers, subscription services out there are just not that successful, period, end of sentence. And except for Xbox Live and PSN Plus, which are obviously tied to the platform, which is a completely different thing, you know? So anyway, I think it's the wrong strategy to focus all your attention on this one thing. I think they should be building studio capabilities. I think they should be building new IP. It's certainly riskier, but it's all ultimately will likely pay off down the road, right? Or alternatively, they can acquire studios or actually put a mobile team together that can execute against the opportunity, you know, like, like Zynga is right now, you know? I mean, he talks about the, the failures of, of other mobile games, but look at what Zynga's accomplishing. I mean, they've increased shareholder value they're almost double what they used to be, right? Because of a core strategy around acquisition and, and, and mobile, right? So anyway, I think ultimately they're changing the guard at EA and Laura taking over. I think that this, this strategy around subscription will likely shift to things that will likely be more beneficial for long-term shareholder value for EA is kind of my thinking. Um, but we'll see. You know, I'm, you know. Uh, it's a bit frustrating to just yeah. I, I listened to that part in the call and I'm like, come on, man, really? You know, you're gonna you're gonna go here again? He, he, he anyway. If he came out and said, hey, you know, we got like five million subscribers for you know for our, our premium subscription on PC. I mean, that's like significant, right? That's interesting. Um, but even then, like, how are they gonna scale beyond that? Even if they they would never get that that high. But you know, anyway. What do you so think? my my quick take, I guess, from the Wall Street perspective, you know, subscriptions are really the holy grail. Uh, you know, investors love sort of the sticky, predictable nature of the revenue. You know, you've seen other companies that have kind of got more in the enterprise software world that have gone through these subscription transitions, and the, the, your multiples really do expand. Um, I think the re one of the reasons EA kind of focuses on it so much is that I think for sports it, it really could work because uh, those games are such habitual purchases for people. Um, but you know, like Eric said, they really need to execute. Uh, part of the problem this past year was that Anthem flopped, Battlefield flopped. Uh, those were the games that were supposed to drive people into the premium subscriptions. So right now it feels a little bit like they're, you know, putting the cart before the horse. Um, so they need to really get down and execute before they can kind of worry about about driving people into subscriptions. Yeah, I 100% I agree with you. I mean, fix fix your shit first, man. Fix your studios. <laughs> make Make good games. You know, stop pissing off the audience with, you know, crazy microtransaction nonsense. You know, like... Like execute against what you guys do, right? And uh, yeah, and yeah, one hundred percent agree. All right, and with that, we'll shift gears a little bit and and talk about Ubisoft. And so Ubisoft actually had a good quarter, highlighted by Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which um, their CEO said was outstanding with quite impressive engagement, PR, PRI, 
and sail through uh, nine months after its release. Also, Rainbow Six Siege, which had a better quarter than anticipated three and a half years after its release, and it's one of the top 10 biggest sellers of the past five years. I just want to touch upon the financial performance very quickly, but net bookings reached 314 million euros in, in uh, the first quarter, down 18% year over year, but above their target of 270 million euros. And the recurring theme for management was around engagement and PRI, uh, PRI meaning player recurring investment. And this metric they claimed was strong at 19% to 150 million euros. Um, mobile revenue was down 24% due to no release this quarter versus the launch of Might and Magic Elemental Guardians last year. And PC now represents 34% of total revenue versus 24% last year. And part of this is driven by the success of Anno 1800, which performed very strongly uh, on... Uplay, I guess. And Uplay continues strong momentum, uh, apparently. And uh, in terms of the key titles, uh, so Anno reached a record launch, including, you know, meaningful progression and player engagement. Assassin's Creed, Odyssey, solid momentum. Uh, they had a lot of events and content updates that, again, increased uh, engagement PRI. Uh, they also launched this kind of story creative mode, which is a new feature that allows players to write their own stories. Uh, Rainbow Six Siege uh, benefited from an increased frequency of updates, including weekly content drops and uh, cool new creations. Division 2 uh, had um, a record for uh, Ubisoft uh, NPS, which is um, net promoter score and engagement per player and uh, growing PRI versus Division 1 and Far, Far Cry 5. In Division 2's best-selling game worldwide for the first six months of the year. Uh, guidance expect net bookings are, uh, at around 310 million euros, down 15% versus last year for Q2. And for the full year, they confirmed their targets with net bookings expected around 2.185 billion euros, up 8%. Just want to conclude with uh, new releases coming up. So they've got Ghost Recon Breakpoint coming out October 4th of this year. Watch Dogs Legion, which got a bunch of awards from E3 of this year with the release date of March 6th of next year. Uh, they have Gods and Monsters, which is a game about saving Greek gods, the uh, release date, which is February 26th of next year. Rainbow Six Quarantine, which is a PvE co-op game launching in the fourth quarter. And Roller Champions, which is a free-to-play PvP action sports game by Ubisoft Montreal in early 2020. So, okay, that's the basic summary. Uh, before I get Eric and Jeff to chime in, I want to highlight a recurring theme that kept coming up over and over, which I mentioned before, which was it seemed that management was really focusing on two key metrics, PRI, this player recurring investment and engagement. And there's actually a really great um, Morgan Stanley research analyst report by Brian Nowak a few years ago that spoke to this major transition happening in the games market where he had talked about this transformation in the games market from a unit sold model to what he called engagement monetization. And sounds like Ubisoft really bought into that story and is focusing in terms of that, that transformation. So Eric and Jeff, what do you guys think? How should we be interpreting Ubisoft's performance? Yeah, so I could start. Um, so I, I've been equal weight Ubisoft uh, since launching coverage in January. I will say, you know, I think management has done an excellent job executing I'd even go as far as to say that over the past two years, uh, you can make the case that they've out-executed Activision, EA, and possibly even Take-Two. They've introduced a ton of new IP and have done a good job increasing their in-game bookings. I'd say despite that, you know, I'm still cautious on these guys for a couple of reasons. First is more tactical. This year, you know, for them, it's very heavily weighted to the fiscal fourth quarter, which, as you mentioned, three big releases there. That introduces a lot of risk, you know, if one of those games should slip. And it also means they have to go head-to-head -head, uh, versus Cyberpunk. Thinking more, you know, more big picture, I just don't see their path to margin expansion as uh, being as clear uh, as maybe some bullish investors believe it will be. The biggest reason for that is really their lack of scale per title. Given, you know, the incremental margins in this business, it's hard to be as efficient when your biggest blockbuster is selling, you know, only 10 million units versus FIFA or Call of Duty that are consistently in the 20 million plus camp. So when you combine that with, with the fact that management is guided for no margin expansion this year, uh, as well as 15% per year growth in R&D spend, 
kind of puzzling to me as to why, you know, the stock trades at a, at a premium to the group. So those are kind of my thoughts on Ubisoft, you know, doing a great job executing, uh, but, you know, surprised that it still trades at a premium valuation. Uh, and just think margin expansion might be a little harder to come by than, than maybe people, people are thinking. Yeah, I, Jeff, actually, you articulated that quite well, I have to admit. Um, I'll give it a little bit more color in the sense that these guys spend or have as many developers as EA and Activision and make half the revenue. Right? Yes. Um, it's like, you know, like, so that makes it really hard. And I've heard this from many investors that to justify um, any type of premium at all on the market, they just spend too much money, right? They're not an efficient company and, and it makes it hard to justify any type of value, valuation above the peers um, until they can focus and build bigger products and, and focus not on like roller champions and toys to life and you know all the other nonsense that they're doing and they just focus on their big games and and get a higher scale bigger scale hits so um we shall see jeff or anything else jk uh yeah i've got a few other questions the first i wanted to ask about is their mobile strategy so no mobile launches this year and the might and magic game last year was a deal with tencent they also just kind of had this head-scratching sort of investment in Green Panda Games, which is a hyper-casual games company. I think they acquired like 70 or 80% of that company. So are they, what, what do you guys think? What is their strategy here? Are they seriously going to like go uh, into hyper-casual or what, what do you guys think? <laughs> I, I, honestly, I just don't think they know jack about mobile, right? I don't think they have the teams. They don't certainly don't have the exact teams. And I, I'm not sure if their franchises actually really translate. Um, I, I just don't really expect much meaningful, anything meaningful out of their um, their mobile side um, of the business going forward. So not, not too bullish there. Jeff, any thoughts? Uh, not, not much besides what Eric just mentioned. Okay. The second question I have is around Anno 1800, which was an Epic Games exclusive. Jeff, I saw that on that call, um, you had asked about Division 2 on Epic as well. Do we know more about, you know, putting stuff on Epic? How good is it for game publishers, do you guys think? Yeah, you know, I asked that question on the call. Um, the reason I think it's important is because, you know, financially, clearly these deals are a slam dunk for the publisher. You know, they're getting 88% of the revenue rather than, you know, call it 70% from Steam. But, uh, you know, if players are actually so mad about these exclusives that they're not showing up to buy the games at all. You know, 88% of zero doesn't, doesn't really help you too much. My sense, um, you know, is that players are not going to skip by a game like the Division 2 or Borderlands you know, just because they have to download a new launcher. Fortunately, I don't have much hard data at this point to back up that assumption. Um, one thing I did find, think that was interesting uh, is it sounds like, at least in the Division's case, uh, Players are actually buying the game on Uplay rather than Epic. So that's actually even more of a win for Ubisoft because they get 100% of the economics on there. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when, when Borderlands comes out, I guess in a couple, in about a month, um, you know, whether players are actually willing to forego buying that game because it's Epic exclusive. Well, I mean, that actually is the main point here, right? So basically Ubisoft is cashing checks from Epic, right? They're just, Epic is spending insane amounts of money to get these quote unquote exclusives but the difference with them is that they have their own store. And so, yeah, I, I've heard the same thing is that a lot of people are just going to the Uplay store instead of Steam. And so they're getting a double whammy. They're getting insane amounts of money from Epic and they're getting the upside from selling on their own store. It's freaking brilliant, you know? So for them, that's just like cash money, you know? And so there's no, and it's something like Anno 1800. I don't know if anybody knows this game is like super freaking hardcore, like strategy games. It's, this player base will go anywhere to get this game. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't think, they may be pissed off, but you know they're going to be on Uplay, you know, and that that is actually a strategy that can help build long-term shareholder value if they get an audience that's kind of like you know uh, wedded to Uplay. Going on Epic Store, I don't know, is necessarily all that strategic, right? In my view, anyway. Um, so yeah. So what do we? How should we be interpreting Uplay? Uplay Plus. They kept talking it up. Do we really expect this to be meaningful? Is this going to be another minor distribution platform or something more significant? I, I hate to be a broken record here, but th this is not going to scale, right? $180 is a huge price. Um, and we spoke about it a few weeks ago, I think. I, I honestly think it's more of testing this kind of model as opposed to real strategic direction for Ubisoft. I think you know Ubisoft is well known for testing in, on everything. They never wait for what's successful. They just go for it. Um, but uh, you know, I think 
I just don't think at 180 price point, like they're going to expand their audience. It's going to be the guys that would have bought the stuff anyway. Um, but overall, I kind of like Ubisoft's positioning in the sense that they have a lot of great AAA franchises that they can leverage going forward. If they start managing their, their game development process better and optimizing against bigger games. But I think the biggest short-term risk and why I'm not really recommending the stock, I don't recommend stocks, but why I think the fundamentals are a little bit risky this year is that I agree with Jeff is that three games in the March quarter is stupid. It's just stupid. It's like, it's like the same idea of putting two triple A's against each other in holiday, like EA did with battlefield and Titanfall, right? You don't do that, right? You're competing against yourself in March, you know, not to mention all the other games that are coming out and also, you know, cyberpunk 2077, and all these games kind of feel the similar, you know, for me, for 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 Ubisoft to some degree, um, except Gods and Monsters is kind of a unique take. But I don't know. I think that's kind of a, that's a, a risky proposition for them um, uh, this year, anyway. Um, but what, Jeff, any other thoughts there? So my take on Uplay Plus, similar to what we talked about with EA. Uh, the one thing I would say that's maybe a little different is that Uplay Plus is going to be available on Stadia, and and that could help them. You know, people who are buying Stadia might want that, you know, fam- fabled Netflix for games uh, subscription type type thing. So, you know, this could be good for that. But I would say overall, I'm not super bullish on it. But Come on, dude. No one's buying Stadia. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Jeff, should we uh, jump over to Zynga? Sure. Yeah. So on Zynga, um, they reported a strong second quarter. They beat consensus on both bookings and EBITDA. And you know, raise their full year bookings guide by 50 million. The strength uh, was driven really by solid performance across the entire portfolio, but particularly the games they acquired in 2018, Merge Dragons and Empires and Puzzles. Both of those, uh, in addition to Words with Friends, actually all posted record quarters. Their social casino portfolio, which had been a weak spot for them for really the past year, also performed ahead of expectations. Um, you know, it seems like they've kind of put the Facebook Connect issues behind them in, in that that segment. I'd say going forward, you know, we like the uh, the, set, the setup for them for the second half of the year. Uh, street numbers look achievable, based really on only on existing games, um, and new games should provide upside. So currently, they have three games in soft launch: Farmville Three, Puzzle Combat from Small Giant, and Merge Magic from Graham. All three of those, I think, have the potential to become what Zynga calls forever franchises. And that means they can deliver 100 million plus in bookings for five years in a row. Of the three, I'd say we're most confident in Farmville, just given the game's brand awareness, uh, you know, going back to its Facebook heyday. And then finally on Zynga, you know, we see the potential for, uh, for creative a creative M&A. The company has $1.4 billion in cash, which they've been pretty open about, uh, you know, the fact that they're going to use that for future acquisitions. Given their track record of successfully integrating these acquired studios, we think a deal would be viewed positively by investors. I'm curious, I guess, to ask you guys, you know, who would be the best fit for Zynga? Is it, is it still Peak? I know that's the name that has been thrown around a lot. Um, or does it make sense for them to maybe go after a few more bite-sized acquisitions rather than try to hook kind of a big whale at once? I mean, from my perspective, it's it's kind of slim pickings at this point, right? I mean, there's not there's not much else left out there. So, and and that you know, I'll I'll get into in a in a, in a few minutes. But I, I think that's a fundamental issue with Zynga is they're running out of you know they're, they're running out of targets out there. So um, yeah, besides Peak, um, you know, I mean, you know, Playrix is out there, although that'd be super expensive. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very positive in terms of the longer term prospects, given the lack of targets out there, in, 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 my, in my opinion. Are you the long term prospects of, of Zynga or long term uh, prospects, long-term of, prospects of, of Zynga to continue their growth field on the back of uh, M&A? Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with that on the longer term perspective. But I do think yeah. peak. There, there are a few other acquisition car- targets that are out there, CoinMaster, that kind of are scaled enough. But um, I would imagine that this peak deal should have been announced by now. They may be running into issues or something, but but I have no information otherwise. But that's the only – if you do a sort by calendar year 18 revenue and and figure out what publishers are of scale to justify over a billion dollars, like the, the list is like three. <laughs> and. One of them is Jam City or Jam, whatever that company is. And I don't think that's worth anything. But uh, Coinmaster and, and, and 
and Peak are the only ones that are scale size enough to justify over a billion dollars. Oh, and uh, I scopely, I suppose, but yeah, that's another thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think Peak is the, the most logical one. And then you're right. Then when they have to look at like smaller ones that are more strategic and, and small, small to, to build them up. But I don't think they actually need the acquisition to get to where they need to go. So I think, I think they're still in good shape without doing another major acquisition, in my opinion. Anything else, JK? Uh, so, well, I mean, I, I can kind of go into my take. So it is, uh, as Jeff mentioned, it does seem like Zing is gearing up for additional M&A. Uh, they've completed their sale leaseback of the SF office. Sounds like they're taking the exact opposite tack of EA. While, while they are gear, gearing up, EA at least are signaling wait and see. And so... I would say, you know, so I, you know, Zynga has done a great job. You know, I, I don't want to take anything away from them. I believe they are good in the short to medium term. But as I mentioned, longer term, I do have concerns. Uh, and so while, you know, all of their growth has come from MA, you know, let's not forget that Zynga reported a loss from operations of about 55.8 million. So they still have yet to prove they can operate profitably over the longer term, despite having tremendous long-running titles that should have very low operating costs. And kind of going back to, you know, I, I think I mentioned my very simple framework. I used to think about game companies. It's really around number one, live ops. You know, so they fed this side of their business with acquisitions. They've been executing very well. But I am concerned about, you know, um, longer term, you know, as I mentioned, mid-sized companies in the market are, are slim to none now. Number two, in terms of new game development, I've spoken out against the SF dev model for like 10 years now. I continue to be optimistic on this. And we've mentioned before on previous twigs that when you look at Zynga and, and Glue's R&D as a percentage of net bookings, it's about, you know, double competitors who are who are uh, overseas. And so they're at a structural disadvantage with respect to new game development. And finally, competition. This area is super hard to predict, but I will say that Zynga are in categories that I believe are harder to compete against. And so they aren't as vulnerable as, say, Glue. Although having said that, you know, um, it, you know, competition is just very hard to predict. But I, I do think, so again, short to medium term, I think they're fine. I think they've done an excellent job, but uh, the longer term story for them, I do have key concern about their ability to continue to feel growth and their ability to actually show that they can operate profitably over the longer term. Eric? Damn, Mr. Haterator, what is wrong with you, dude? Okay. <laughs> no, I, I said they've done a great job and, and short to medium term, they're, they're great. All right, let me pick that apart. First of all, they are very profitable now. Uh, you're looking at the wrong metrics. If you look at the basically the non-GAAP reported revenue and earnings, they are trailing at like 18% type EBIT margin, right? Versus someone like Activision is around 26%. I think EA is close to that as well. So they have room to catch up, but they are profitable. Uh, you can't really look at it on the gap basis because it, it takes into account all kinds of deferred revenue, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to look at it non-gap basis. That's okay. one thing. Two, I agree. I 100% agree with you with the San Francisco model. But what I would say is that all they're really doing in San Francisco, it seems anyway, is the casino products and maybe those stupid puzzle games, which will go away if they acquire Peak. But um, but the games that are in development, like uh, are in, in in remote locations, like the Farmville game, um, and of course all their acquisitions are in remote locations. So that kind of helps them scale in le less uh, expensive area. Uh, competition, yeah, I mean it's always hard, right? Um, uh, but for me, like what I'm kind of looking at right now is first, what can they do with Farmville? If Farmville is successful, I think the stock is a home run because it actually proves that they can make something besides a social casino game and be successful. We have no beta metrics yet uh, because it's only in the Philippines and Thailand right now. And so that's not all that interesting there, but I I'm hearing good things. And so I'm hoping that they can actually scale that up to something even around hundred million, which in the 12 months, which is a lot, but that would be amazing a home run for them. And then the other thing is I keep saying is that they have these games that are coming from their two acquisitions, you know, very small teams that are just basically, and I don't want to say copying and pasting, but expanding their success with, with different genres or different themes um, and, and putting those games into market. And I think those games will be super successful and just layer on top of what they're doing now. So generally, I, I think they're in a really good spot. I think they have the ability just to basically do what they want um, and, and until they feel comfortable with these games coming out. 
uh, because I think they can basically grow through the rest of the year without actually introducing any new games. But yeah, I, I continue to be bullish on their prospects. I think they will be $2 billion plus revenue in the next two years, just a different company than they were a few years ago. All right. So should we uh, should we take it home with glue, Eric? Oh, my God. Here we go. Uh, wow. Where to begin? You know, basically everything I said about glue came true. Right. Everything. And unfortunately, Jeff was on the wrong side of this because I think he had a strong buy going into this print. Right. Um, the stock. So was that's coming. why you guys brought me back. Yeah. <laughs> me up. Great. So. Basically, everything on this call was negative except for Diner Dash. I think that was probably the only like saving grace for them, which I think I, I, I may or may have not called out before, but it was looking good in the beta. So, and they posted a good inline quarter. They posted a good quarter, but they delayed Sorcerer's Arena to Q120, which I don't even understand why, because that game is garbage and it's not going to do anything. Might as well stick it out now, but I think they probably need more support next year in terms of revenue. So they torpedoed guidance for this year from 450 to 410. Um, they basically had catalog weakness across um, all their other games, which include, you know, Kim Kardashian. Design Home is not scaling as well as they thought. Um, they they don't think, expect it significantly to grow in the back half. But this was the thesis all along, right? Design Home was not going to grow enough, and the pipeline was not strong enough to get to their growth pro- growth targets. It's just impossible, right? So the stock got destroyed. It was down another 40% from down like 30%. So it's down, it was at 460 from a peak of $11, right? And so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and gloat, but I I mean, it just was so obvious. Anyway, so where do we go from here? Um, I do think that, that their revised guidance is achievable. I think that 410 number is probably achievable what they got, but I'm not really 100% there even at that, right? Because if they start scaling spend on Diner Dash and, and the new audiences don't monetize the well that is their you know golden cohort, they may struggle to get there. And I think they may have captured the best Diner audience Diner Dash audience already. So it may be difficult to scale, but we shall see. You know, I don't know if they can maintain that growth. And then the other problem that this year potentially is that the design home and the rest of the catalog could get worse, not better, right? Um, with all kinds of marketplace things, whether it's competition or just general churn so i'm a little bit worried about those games as well so but my biggest problem and where i think jeff is continually wrong even though i keep telling him what what's going on is that the numbers for next year are not achievable it is impo- it seems impossible like they were at fi- consensus was what 526 million next year and now consensus is coming down and i think jeff's number is at 478 it's just the Diner Dash is not going to maintain. Every other Diner Dash has basically peaked out for like four, five, six months and then declined. And so you're not going to see the revenue generation from Diner Dash next year. Everyone has got to acknowledge that this stupid Disney game is not going to do jack. And Design Home is going to be down. There's just no way they could continue to grow that, you know. And so that leaves like Deer Hunter. And I just don't think they have the ability to execute against the Deer Hunter franchise. I think that Deer Hunter franchise is so long in the tooth and if they do the same type of game that's not going to do well and if they try anything additional and try to like uh, expand the monetization design i think it's going to be a real challenge for them with given the teams that they're working with on this thing so anyway i I know i'll continue to gloat a little bit and despite the fact that i keep winning on all these things i still have lost two dinner bets with jeff so i'm a little bit upset about that so maybe i'm a little bit bitter you you didn't actually pay for the first one because you're cheap yeah well (laughs) that, that may be but anyway, um, I, I still can't get bullish on glue, even at this level. I think, I think they got a lot of challenges ahead of them, and uh, they need to kind of rethink their strategy. And, and the biggest fundamental problem for them also is they just don't have enough cash to acquire anything that would be meaningful. Um, so they have to strike lightning in a bottle again, the way they did with um, you know, the design Crowdstar guys. And I just don't think there's any opportunities, or it's going to be very hard to find those kind of opportunities out there right now. All right, what do you think, Jeff? Yeah. Um, so first, I, I have to give Eric, obviously, a ton of credit. You know, he correctly identified Disney as being in trouble early um, and was definitely way ahead of Wall Street on recognizing the company was going to struggle to hit hit their numbers this year. Um, OK, that's enough patting, patting Eric on the back. So, you know, heading into this quarter, we we knew Disney getting pushed was a potential risk. So I would say investors weren't totally blindsided by that. I was actually more surprised and disappointed by the weakness in the catalog 
as well as the fact that Design Home didn't really grow sequentially, you know, despite uh, the fact that the user acquisition challenges are getting better, at least according to management. So, you know, what to do now? I mean, this, the stocks clearly had a massive negative reaction. You know, it was 40% down on Friday. Uh, as analysts, our job is, is kind of to figure out where it goes from here. So I, I will acknowledge it, it's hard now to have a lot of confidence in Disney at this point. Um, but I would say that the stock price is largely respecting, uh, reflecting a lot of that pessimism at this point. Looking forward, uh, there's a few things I think Glue investors can hang their hats on. You know, number one, uh, numbers for 2019 should be achievable, uh, kind of in line with what Eric just mentioned, um, provided the Diner Dash doesn't have the challenges that he talked about. Number two, expectations for Disney have, have really come down dramatically. Um, I'm now modeling 30 million gross for next year. That's, you know, that three or four million per month, um, I think is possible for this game, given the IP and the marketing support it's going to get. Uh, moving Number three, company does have three other shots on goal for 2020. I think Deer Hunter uh, could be a hit, like Eric said, if they're able to figure out kind of a metagame that monetizes. It is being built by the Tap Sports Baseball team uh, that has a pretty good track record in that regard uh, outside of WWE. And then, you know, Crowdstar has a new game planned next year. Um, we don't have many details on it yet, but we do know that those guys can, can produce hits. Number four, uh, they have no debt and $100 million in cash. So I do think they can follow kind of the Zynga playbook and make some, you know, small creative acquisitions. So far, uh, you know, Nick has, Nick has shied away from being aggressive on M&A, but after this, this recent stock price drop, you know, he might be rethinking kind of that playbook. And then finally, the stock is cheap on a relative basis. It's currently trading around one and a half times, you know, 2020 consensus bookings versus Zynga 3.2 times. While there's certainly some premium for Zynga is warranted, I do think that Delta is, you know, probably too wide. Got it. Uh, just a quick note on your last point about M&A, though. I, I do think that one of the problems they're going to have is the same problem that I mentioned about Zynga is that the uh, the number of targets left out there is, is you know, it's, it's slim picking. So we'll, we'll see whether, you well, know, whether they have an, uh, an interest in doing that, but also just in, in terms of the market, it, it's kind of slim there. And from my perspective, I just had two points to make. The first is around new games. So WWE and Disney. And the second point has to do with I, with what I believe is really a lack of a focused strategy. So first let's talk WWE and Disney. So after Eric's been bashing Disney Sorcerer's Arena for so many weeks now, I finally decided to try it. And so I've, I've been playing it over the weekend. I'm actually going to do a review with a couple of other game experts for my YouTube uh, channel, but the game looks like just a total fail. I mean, the, the game is <laughs> fundamentally flawed from gameplay and systems fit to audience to a total breakdown in game balancing to overcomplicated UI UX. Like, Whoever the game designer, the lead game designer for this game is, needs to get off of Contests of Champions because right now it's really, really obvious that the approach there seems to be, hey, we love Contests of Champions and we're going to force fit Contests into this game no matter if it makes sense or not. And another point I mentioned, I've always been concerned about Glue's new game development capability and the fact that this game and this design got this far speaks to a potentially fundamental flaw in their game pre-production process. And so I just think that there's there's some concerns here, not just a set SF development model, but I think there may be a problem with their process and especially their pre-production process. Now, speaking to WWE Universe, it looks like it's not it's also not looking very good just based off of sensor tower data. We've seen a fairly steep decline to about 10K downloads per day and now dropping under 10K in net revenue. This It's a bummer. You know, I'm a huge WWE fan, uh, but it's looking kind of pretty grim here as well. So now let's talk about my second point around Glue's strategy or what I feel is really a lack of strategy. And going back to Twig 14, we had covered the new strategy under Nick Earl, which was around centralized development in SF and adopting more of a supercell approach to development by killing off titles very quickly. On Twig 14, actually, Mishka made a really good point, though, that with IP titles, you've got minimum guarantees to cover. And so just quickly killing shit off isn't so easy. And I think that's really what we're seeing here with both Disney and WWE. Clearly, those titles weren't really working, aren't working, and they are basically now trying to live ops their way out of essentially a mess 
But it's not that, you know, we're going to quickly kill stuff off that doesn't make sense. It's not that strategy. So my point being that we're not really seeing that supercell strategy at all here um, in, in practical implementation. And the more IP games that they do, the more at odds with that approach we'll likely see. Further, with respect to the centralization strategy, Nick Earl had stated initially in interviews, quote, when all teams are co-located, you get so many benefits from sharing resources and ideas. And they really talked about this SF centralization strategy. And so I thought it was a bit of a head scratcher when they also announced the acquisition of a new sports studio in Orlando. I mean, I don't know anything about that studio. Who knows? Maybe they are awesome. But, you know, talk about throwing your playbook out the door. I mean, Glue's strategy is basically no strategy. So it seems like they are operating in a very ad hoc and opportunistic way, which doesn't give me a lot of confidence longer term. Um, and as I mentioned before, they like Zynga are, well, maybe not as much as Zynga as, as Eric had mentioned, but they are operating at a structural disadvantage with respect to new game development. And uh, just a quick overview though, with respect to my feelings on prospects for Glue. So last year on that Twig 14, both Eric and I made a very bold prediction that Glue stock would drop significantly. I think Eric predicted four, I predicted 350 to four. So while I root for the industry, and, and by the way, I actually like Lou. I, I, you know, I, I really like, especially that Crowdstar team, which I think are fantastic. But I do think we were right, and I'm going to stick to our call there. And going back to my, you know, very simple company evaluation framework, very quickly. Uh, Live Ops, very good. Crowdstar team, those guys are still superstars. New game dev, this is still hosed, and it's proving to be an Achilles heel. And finally, competition. This is the thing that I think could really impact Glue, which we haven't seen yet. So part of my previous stock prediction was also premised on some, on, on some key competitive title, title stealing share and increasing UA cost for Glue. I actually thought I knew who was coming in. Again, this is just more wild speculation for me, but nothing's happened. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So if it does, watch out. We could really see a free fall. But predicting competition is pretty impossible. So anyway, just something for anyone holding glue for something, something you should watch out for and definitely should be concerned about. And that's basically my take. Uh, that's a bull call on glue right there. Um, so we were unable to uh, cover both Activision and Take Two because they actually report tomorrow, I think. Um, and Take Two is tonight. But... Oh, it is. Okay. Uh, so we are headed out. I'm headed out tomorrow, so we couldn't do that. But I don't expect actually much from both of those guys, to be honest. I think they'll be kind of just in line, reiterate type stuff. So not not too too exciting. I don't think anybody's going to capitulate this year if the, things are not going well. Um, but anyway, the good good call. Um, I is there anything else that Jeff you want to cover before we get out of here? No, I think that's it. Thanks thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure, and maybe I'll win one of these dinner bets from you one of these days <laughs> or maybe we're going somewhere we're going somewhere expensive this time <laughs> all right well maybe you'll listen to me once in a while and write a note that makes sense maybe <laughs> all right all right well that's i guess that's it guys see y'all later peace